Okay, I want you guys to tell me what you believe the top 10, let's see if we can get 10, the top 10 things that a young person fears. You'll say spiders or stuff like that. Dying alone. <laughs> That's a good one. Dying alone. It's probably way up on the list. Dying alone. <laughs> Uh, working hard okay so you fear not working hard or you fear working hard like it's going to kill you oh working too hard really man see that's your generation so unpack that a little bit Lisa like like if if you work too hard like what would happen (laughs) you feel that even though it may be irrational not that you're actually working too hard but you feel like Okay, so so maybe like um, to to be successful is impossible. It takes too much work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so fear of success being too hard. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Poverty. Okay. All right. Marty Poverty. Has one. Marty, Marty what'd you say? Image. Oh yeah, fe- uh, image. So how you how you are to others? What, how you? Okay. Okay. Relationships. Okay. Image. Can I put down there like reputation, identity? And then what did you, who said what? Relationships. Like not having relationships or yeah. just, okay. Or you're also, like. Or how to manage them? Yeah, like interaction even, just yeah. human interaction nowadays. So when you say, when you say relationships, so you mean that you won't be good at them or that you won't, that you'll yeah. have failed relationships? Okay, forming them, yeah. maintaining them. Yes, okay, gaining and maintaining, okay. 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 Very good. Um, okay. And then what else? Set- oh yeah. Fearing conflict. Okay. What else? How about this one's somewhat related to the others acceptance or approval. Say like failure or disappointing others. Okay. So failures. Success being too hard, failure, okay. Uh, oh, yeah, Dis- we'll put disappointment as a separate one. Is this Christian or world? Um, well, just tell me. We'll, just give me what you got and then we'll global, see. Global warming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you are like, that? They're like, no, I'm not. I can put that down. We've got one left. So do you want it to be global warming or do you got I haven't heard the, the, like I haven't heard the one that I thought out. I would hear. What? Money. Fear of not making enough money. Oh. Someone yeah. said poverty. Yeah. Someone said poverty. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, what? what yeah. Well, I, so I think I could think of another one. Sense, so that's not on, like, big. Yeah. Very good. So they can make $15 right. an hour. They're like, awesome. Let's do this. Yeah, they're like, I'm rich. <laughs> All right, we got to have one more because um, of not being happy. Oh. Yeah, that's true. I feel like all of those could be. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna read them to you. Okay, fear of dying alone. <laughs> That's bad. You got 40 or 50 years to get that done. If you can't get that done, <laughs> <laughs> all right. What does so, that mean? Like not ever getting married? Define dying alone. Yeah. Your spouse Aaron, is dead. Aaron, like, yeah, your dog's dead. Your spouse is dead. But you have Ruby. Never had a spouse. Because I think 
Okay. Okay. Success being too hard. Okay. So you got to do too much work to get there. Poverty, not having enough money. Okay. So not enough. Bling, bling. Image, reputation, or identity. You're worried about that. You fear that. Okay. Relationships, gaining those relationships, maintaining those relationships. Conflict, acceptance or approval. Fear of failure in general. Fear of disappointment or disappointing others rather. Number 10, missing out on experiences. And then finally, number 11, not being happy. Okay, so let me, and if you've got something to write this down, I want you to do, I want you to do this. Write down the word fear. Okay, and then the first word that I want you to put, or the first thing I want you to do, I want you to write fear, and I want you to make an equal sign. And the word I want you to write next to that is trust. And then right after trust, I want you to do another equal sign, and I want you to write the word commitment. Okay, so fear equals trust equals commitment. That's what, what you should have on, on your piece of paper, Okay. Okay, so here's the big news. What you fear and in proportion to how much you fear it is what you trust and what you are committed to. What you fear is what you trust to the degree that you fear it. And, and it's what defines what you will be committed to. Okay, and so in some of those cases, uh, if, you, if you fear being poor, that, that could be a positive where then you, 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 you make sure that you, you do enough work or that you, you make enough money or maybe it makes you a person who saves and, and you're committed to that end because of that fear, okay? Uh, on the other hand, it can make you a person who spends too much time working because you are so controlled by that fear that you never believe you'll have enough, okay? But for the most part, anything other than fearing God means that you are trusting and committed to something other than God. To, to the degree that you fear that thing more than God. <clears throat> and, and fear, I can tell you, and doing this now for almost 20 years, fear is the number one reason people don't follow God to the degree that they should follow God. It's fear. That is the answer I get back time and time again is fear. You know, why are you not all in? And it inevitably will come back to some or multiple fears that they have. Okay? And so that fear, fearing something other than God, which plug God in here, fear God, which you know over and over the scripture talks about fearing God. That means trusting God. Fearing him the most means trusting him the most, which means you will also be committed to him the most. Because again, this is how it works in our brains. What you fear is ultimately 
the truth you trust and what you will be committed to. Okay? It's when you don't fear something that you get in, 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 in trouble, right? Which tells you that fear creates that kind of commitment or trust. Okay? So uh, if, I, if I have this all-consuming fear about gaining or maintaining relationships, that becomes the thing that is the trump card to serving God. Which means anytime there's conflict within my family as it relates to issues to following God, I'm going to choose my family over God. Okay? Because I'm so in fear of that thing. Okay? And again, like I said, this is always the case. When, when, when people are in trouble uh, spiritually and we're digging or I'm digging to find out what the issue is, it's always this. Fear of something. Right? Fear of losing their kids, fear of whatever, fear of losing their job, fear of whatever, fear of, someone said conflict, okay? And because they so fear that, that pushes God out. They don't fear God more than they fear those things. And the only healthy, all-consuming fear is fear of God, okay? Because when I fear God, and again, you see this in Scripture, even people saying, because I fear God. Because I fear God, I trust God. Meaning, when God says something, I, because I fear him, I believe what he says. And we're doing the same thing. When I fear, uh, because all these things, again, that you gave me, you gave them as, as examples of bad things, right? So when we say uh, fear of conflict... You see conflict as a bad thing, right? If you're a person who fears conflict, you see conflict as a bad thing when biblically conflict is necessary to thriving in this world, okay? And, and, and yet because you fear conflict, what you're doing is, is you're telling your brain, I need to do everything I can to avoid it because now what you're trusting about conflict is that conflict is bad. Conflict will destroy me. And so that fear keeps you committed to avoiding that. And the same is true as it relates to God. Because I fear God, I do everything in my power to avoid his wrath. I trust what he says. And that means if he says something, then I'm going to listen. Because I fear him and I fear his wrath. Which means I am committed to him. And so, again, you go through any of these your, your, your fear of failure. You believe that by saying that, if I fear failure, you're saying, I believe that I can fail. And so you do everything in your power. You become committed to that. Commitment is trust. Trust is commitment. And both of these things are very much connected to the issue of fear. So now you do everything in your power to make sure you don't fail, including compromising against God. Fear is always the issue. And where does that kind of fear come from? It's another F word. Feelings. Feelings, okay? So if you write that down, feelings, okay? And uh, feelings, there's a proper place uh, for feelings. God gave us feelings, but he didn't give us feelings as a gauge for determining right or wrong, good or bad. Feelings were never given to be a gauge 
for right or wrong or good or bad. Never. Never, ever, 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 ever. Because feelings don't think. Okay? And so feelings, which is how temptation often enters, is through our feelings. Feelings are something that need to be controlled by the facts or by truth and what we have determined to be the truth. Okay? And if you look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 5, uh, you'll see something that should be very short verse 5-7 is something that uh, I would encourage many of you to put to memory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Look at what Paul says. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Sight is feelings-based. It's walking according to our senses. I've talked about this in years past. It's the, uh, the, uh, the problem in uh, aeronautics called the false horizon. So when they teach you how to uh, fly a plane, uh, one of the things that they try to break you of that is a, a common problem because it's natural as human beings to want to perceive reality through our, our eyes or what's in front of us, they, they try to break you of using your eyes to determine where, how far up in the sky you are and to instead trust your instruments. And yet what happens is, and this happens a lot with amateur flyers, it happened with JFK Jr. and his family. They were on their way, I think, for Christmas to Martha's Vineyard. They were flying over the ocean. They got into, uh, it got dark and it created what's called a false horizon. He thought he could see where the, the water was, and, uh, and he couldn't. He was wrong. And because he wasn't flying according to his instruments, he was flying by sight, he crashed into the water and killed everybody on the plane. And so the same is true here. When you operate according to your feelings, when you are determining good or bad, right or wrong, by how you feel, you are flying by sight rather than by faith. You are not using the instrument that God gave you to determine right or wrong, good or bad. This is the instrument. Okay? And uh, we're all navigating our way through this world, and God has told us in this uh, same book, that God has told us why things are the way they are. What does God tell us? Well, he tells us that uh, the plane we are flying, which in this case is our, is our bodies, so you, the person I'm talking to now, is the person inside that body. That's why when we die, we have our thoughts, we know who each other are, each other are in heaven because this is just the mech suit. This is just the body suit. This is just the airplane or the tent, as Paul calls it. And so we're operating this uh, this body suit or mech suit in this world, but we're going to leave that behind, okay? So it's the, the little gingerbread man inside the big gingerbread man, okay? But here's what God tells us about it. If we go back to the very beginning, God tells us that because of sin, uh, these bodies that we now have, these mech suits, these airplanes, are severely damaged, and as a result of that, they are sending us all the time, this is what's called depravity in the Bible, we see it in places like Romans 1, 
They are all the time sending us wrong or false signals as to what reality is. So we're getting a lot of false horizons. And our God, our creator, is good enough to give us that kind of a book. So he gives us the history, tells us how we got into this situation. And that's what this book is for then, to help us to be able to navigate without the use of those senses, which are severely corrupted. And here's the warning. Uh, If we do not fly according to the instruments that God has given to us, that corruption that exists in our bodies will corrupt our souls. And if our souls get corrupted, we will not get to heaven because God cannot allow corrupted souls into heaven. And so we're on that journey. We've all taken off in flight. And God is good enough to give us, as the creator, a manual to fly by. He's given us the instruments. If we will fly by faith, we'll make it. We'll keep the body from corrupting our souls. And so that's the the game. That's the game we're playing here is learning how to trust and really, uh, by the will, making the decision to trust the instruments or the instrument, God's word as to what is good, what is bad, what is right, and what is wrong. We are, like he says again, we are to walk by faith, not by sight. If you walk by sight, which is what most people do, then you are listening to the false signals. You are listening to the corrupted data and you will crash. You will corrupt your soul and you will go to hell. Does that make sense? See, that's the perspective we need to have. And God was good enough to give us a book to be able to do that. So we shouldn't look at this as like, oh, a bunch of rules. This is, this is the navigation system so that we can get out of here. So that we don't burn with the rest of it, right? He was good enough to do that. I turn over to Romans 8, related to this. In Romans 8, uh, Paul makes a distinction that's made uh, in several places uh, in the scripture. And what he talks about in Romans uh, 8 is this, this thing that's talked about in several places, which is, Uh, the distinction between uh, spirit and the flesh or walking by the spirit and walking by the flesh. And this distinction is uh, the same as what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 when he says, we do not walk by sight. Sight is what he means in Romans 8 by the flesh. And according to Romans 6, in baptism, we considered ourselves dead to that person. We understood that the, that the, the controls were corrupted and we're now trusting God. We're going to listen to him. Even though we've got all these signals firing and telling us a different story, we're going to trust God. And that, uh, that's not something that uh, we just need to do, but it's something also that we have already, all of us who have been baptized, we've obligated ourselves to do. So with that in mind, Look at verse 12, Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. And uh, some translations literally say it this way. We are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You could take that word there, flesh, and you could could cross that out, uh, and you could put there the word feelings, not to live according to the feelings, because that's what he's talking about when he says live according to the flesh. 
And what he means is, is that you're determining what you do or not do by how you feel. Okay? For if you live according to the flesh, what does it say? You will die. But if by the Spirit, the Spirit being God's Word, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Real simple. You want to make it home. You'll live according to the Spirit or God's Word, what the Spirit tells you to do. So imagine you're in that plane and all of a sudden over the radio comes this voice and says, Hey, listen, don't freak out, but all of your, uh, everything in that plane is malfunctioning right now. Um, but if you listen to me, if you listen to my voice, you'll live. I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I can help you to land this plane safely. What would you do? Tell them to go shove it. I got it. Right? You go back, I got it. Because that's what most people do, right? I got it. And then, and then they listen to all the, the corrupted data, right? And they crash. Rather than saying, okay, I'm going to listen to what God says and no longer trust this mech suit, this body suit, this airplane, whatever you want to call it, this vessel, this vehicle. When I got saved all those years ago, I was one of the most unstable individuals, which I'm so thankful for because it made me desperate. I was uh, on Prozac, which is a, a drug for, any, uh, for uh, de- uh, depression. And uh, if, if the wind blew the wrong way on a Tuesday, I was out of my mind. I was a very feelings-oriented person, and I didn't know, I didn't know what reality was because I was so... Uh, <clears throat> I had lived so long that way in my feelings. I was in uh, my early 20s, and, and I just wanted a way. I wanted some tool. I wanted something that could tell me what reality was and that I could live according to. And when I found Christ and I found God's word, I was like, that's it. I'm putting my hand in that plow. I will never look back. And it made no sense to me that anyone would ever play around with that. As soon as I found God's word and I knew that this is what I needed was just to listen to him, and everything would change. That's what I did. And I never, to this day, I've never questioned it. And you know what? It's all worked out just fine. But I was a very, very unstable person, filled with all kinds of sin. I was a slave to sin because I was a slave to my flesh. I was a slave to my feelings. And, and, and when I found God's word, it was like, I'm trusting the one who made me. I'm trusting what he says. I am no longer trusting how I feel. And I got off the meds and I changed my life. He changed my life because I listened to him. And you can do the same thing. As a matter of fact, that's, what the, that's the decision we all have in this room is who are we going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the mech suit? Are you going to listen to the corrupted data so that it corrupts you and you go to hell? Or are you going to listen to God? And it's a decision. And you just make the decision 100% him. That's it. And maybe that's tonight, right? Because you haven't done that. You've been in 75, 25 with your feelings playing this game. Don't do that. Questioning God. Don't do that. Said, say, you know what? Call me crazy. I'm going to do it. That's what I did. And I didn't have any, really at the time, uh, I didn't have any examples to look at. All I knew is this was God's word. I believed it to be God's word. And I said, you know what? Call me crazy. I'm going to trust it. Anything it says, I'm going to do. And I had not read the whole thing. It wasn't like I read it and I said, it sounds good to me. I'll do it. I, I, I knew there was a ton that I didn't even know. But I said, if this is God's word, then I'm going to do whatever it says. And, and like I said, I, I, I didn't know anything, or I knew very little. 
But I believe that it was God's word. And now, 20 some years later after studying it, it is not like that's changed or I now have doubts about things, which you would think after reading it, if there were things that I should doubt, that I would have picked up on those things. Instead, my trust has grown even stronger and, and it's made me, I would say, more zealous because I realized just how stupid people really are in not understanding the, the depth and the level of complexity and the genius of the things that are said in this book. And I try week in and week out to communicate that to you guys. I don't always do the best, but there's so much that's, that's there and there's so much that I understand now about our world. And I see it in the pages of scripture. It's like a giant symphony always playing. And, 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 and I've, never, I've never once come to a place where I've thought something's wrong about this. Again, it's gone the other way. So I, I took that, let's say, bet for you, and I can tell you that I, I've never been there. I've never been in a place where I've questioned it. I started there, and I've continued on that road, but not because it became a fight after five years of reading God's Word. It got easier because I could see just how true and wise God was, just how good He was in loving us to give us this instrument, and that what it said was true and would come to pass, and it has, right? Right? In all these years in our church, uh, we've been now going to go on 20 years. Uh, God has taken care of us as a congregation. He really has. And if you, I was telling somebody this one day, if you were to look at uh, statistically uh, a group of, if you took a slice of 100 people, okay, from society and you had different demographics and so on and so forth. But if you were to take that and you were to say, okay, how many big tragedies will there be? How many, whatever, you'd find you'd actually uh, find quite a few within a group of 100 people with several generations. So um, you'd find that. And, and one day I was thinking about this. You know, in, in this 20 years, we've never had, in 20 years, we've never had a major tragedy in our church ever. That, I'm telling you if, you, if you were to put those numbers out, like sociologists who study this kind of stuff, they'd say you're crazy. That can't be true. We've never had it. See, you're not looking at the data. You don't realize how much God has protected us over well, the like years. Well, like even in the world, like in the workplace, like you, like every place I've ever worked, there's always like terrible things that yeah. happen to people. Yeah, we don't have it. And, and it's not saying that, that something can happen or, or whatever uh, within God's design. But, but, you know, I think about where God says in Deuteronomy where he's talking to that second generation. He's like, if you do what I say, like, I'll protect you. Like, there'll be no stillbirths. You, you're, you will prosper. All this stuff. It's like, that's happened in our church. We went through the recession. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was after, shortly after 9-11, there was a period of time where there was a recession. And our church, like, a couple people... I think got laid off and they immediately got jobs. We've never had anything where there's been real massive, like uh, bad things happening. We haven't had, again, we haven't had tragedy. Economically, physically, we haven't had that. Things have not happened like that. And again, we just think that this is just normal. But again, if you were to take a slice of 100 people, different demographics, all this kind of stuff, you would not find the kind of safety that we've had all these years. We just, don't, we just don't know any different because this stuff hasn't happened. But like she said, it happens all the time to other people. Okay? So God has been good to us. And that's what I mean by when you just reflect on what God's done, he's been good to us. He's protected us, right? But as far as this goes, that's up to you. You're the ones making the decision as to what your life's going to look like. And it's based on what you choose 
to use to fly the plane? Is it going to be your feelings or is it going to be God's word, the facts? Are you going to, are you going to fly by sight or are you going to fly by faith? <clears throat> Questions about that? Oh, oh, let me make the connection back to the fear. The fear, right, again, is the sight stuff because the fear is the feelings. And, and I was going to start tonight with just talking about by feelings, but the, but, the, but the predominant problem with the feelings is the fear. Right? It's like, oh, I, I have feelings for a guy or I have feelings for a girl or I like girls or I like guys or I want a job or whatever. But those things are okay. The problem is, is that this, this, this a paralyzing fear that sets in of I'm not going to get those things. <clears throat> Instead of trusting God, you, 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 it, which means fearing God, which commits you to God. Instead, you, you fear that. So then what do you do? You take matters into your own hands and you compromise. Isn't that what happens? Okay. Somebody have a question? Yeah, Erin. Um, I guess I don't, I'll just ask it, but I, I'm trying to think. So I think the reality is, is it's just knowing your Bible well, but you've said this a couple of times in the last few months of like even how you'll spend Saturdays with Miss Jared if she's struggling mentally. So like as a single woman, how do you really work on in the moment when you're super emotionally charged towards a situation, like hearing you say that you can, regardless of how you feel, make a decision, yeah. is sometimes foreign because I'm like, how are you able to totally disconnect what you're feeling from the decision? And so how do you, coming from, you know, when you were in your 20s to now, what was the practice of just, doesn't matter how I feel, I know this is the way I need to go. And even sometimes not knowing 100%, but regardless of how you feel, yeah. moving in that right way. Yeah, thank you um, for that because you reminded me of something else. I'm going to answer that, but before we do, go to First Peter chapter 3 because I want to show you something. I'm so glad that Aaron asked that because I, I just remembered the other piece I wanted to show you, and, and then I'll talk about that. So, so Aaron asked the question. Aaron is a female. Really? She's a woman. Um, so in, in, in 1 Peter 3, uh, you have this instruction that's given to husbands in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing, her, showing honor to her to the woman as the weaker vessel. Why is she the weaker vessel? You're more emotional, but, but here's, what I, here's what I've come to realize about this verse. That's, that's true, but that's, that's, that's not specific enough. Enough. If you look up to uh, verse 6, so we use the context to understand stuff, right? Um, in verse 6, he's talking, he's giving instruction to women in submitting their husbands, even those who are disobedient, which creates fear. I've seen it in wives who have foolish husbands, disobedient husbands, and they're fearful, Right? And, and so he addresses that issue and says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then he turns on men and says, likewise, husbands, though, live with them in an understanding way, knowing that they are the weaker vessel. What he means by weaker vessel, I'm, I'm convinced of it, is in this way you are the weaker vessel. And I can tell you again by experience that this is something that I've picked up on over the years that I didn't know before. Women are more prone to fear than men. So this emotion is very strong in women. That's why I'm glad Aaron asked because I was like, oh, because woman, fear. Okay, got it. Okay, so, but it is. So when she brought up about what, what reminded me of is because she said about Chris, and it would, that would be on our Saturday morning talks is she would be fearful about stuff and she's freaking out. And so 
We would sit down and we would, we would talk through that stuff. Okay? doesn't mean that men don't have fear either, especially today because, and, and, and the connection between these two things, and I can prove this, is that in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says act like men. And if you look at that in the Greek, if you look at its equivalent in the Septuagint, which is the uh, Old Testament rendering in Greek, it's written originally in Hebrew, there's a Greek rendering of it that was done a long time ago by a bunch of Jews. That's the exact same word that's translated act like men in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, in passages like Joshua, where it says, be very strong and courageous, which is the opposite of fear, okay? So, so to act like a man is to be not given to fear. This is why also in places like Jeremiah 50 and 51, it says, God says when he says, I come against Babylon, it's gonna be so bad that your men will become women. And he does, he's not talking about sex changes there. He's talking about the fact that they will become fearful, okay? Mm-hmm. So, what makes the woman a weaker vessel is the fact that she's more prone or given to, to fear. But in our society today, this is why Jocko and all this kind of stuff with the podcast have become so popular. 50, 60 years ago, they couldn't have made a living doing this because everybody knew this. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, true. and I'm super thankful that he's come along, guys like him that want to talk about this stuff because there's a great need. But why is there a great need? Because so many men are like women. they become women. And, and they fear too. So, so here's what a woman needs to do. Your handicap needs to become your superpower. That's what they tell people who have genuine handicaps, is they say, you need to overcompensate for whatever your handicap is. Okay? So you as a woman, you need to say, I know that I'm going to be prone to that. So I'm going to be extra alert to that, and I'm going to do everything I can to not live in that world, in a world of fear. Okay, and so the way that you overcome that, the way that you overcome that, the way that I overcame that is, again, first of all, is a decision to fear God and to do what he says. And, and what that means is, is you in that moment, you decide I'm dying to flesh, I'm dying to self. And it doesn't matter if this, if taking this course and listening to God and making the decisions that I believe are what God's word wants me to do, if that destroys me, then so be it. You really do have to come to that place. And that's exactly where I was. I, I was in a place where I was like, I was, I was desperate. And I, at that point, I had a lot of bad stuff going on in my life. And, and, and I was like, I, I don't care because I'm already, I'm already in that place. And, and I'm, I got to change. Something's got to change. Well, for you guys, a lot of you don't, you don't sense the danger that's out there. But it's very real and it will wreck your life. And so you have to, women included, but all of us, you have to make that commitment. You have to make that commitment to say, I'm going to follow God irrespective and not give in the fear of missing out or whatever else it is. You have to trust God that everything that you need, everything that you need to be happy, everything that you need to be fulfilled, everything you need, he's got you. Okay? And you, you make that commitment. And then, and then it's baby steps, Right? And the reason I say baby steps is because it doesn't all come, you don't get to where like I'm at now without the process, right? It's like running. How do you run? One foot in front of the other. And you just keep going. And, and what happens? Pain comes in. And, and as you're running, it gets hard and it hurts and it's, it's, or it's uncomfortable. And what do you do? You say, oh, it's uncomfortable. I'm going to die. I'll stop. No. How you learn how to run is you learn how to, that's how I learned it at 50 years old. You, you learn to ignore the pain. You, you, so what am I doing? 
look at the parallel here. God of redundancy. You learn to ignore the signals. My body's like, stop. This sucks. <laughs> you can go home right now. There's an ice cream shop. You, could, you, you know, it's all this stuff and you feel rotten. And what do you do? You just keep putting one foot in baby steps. And you just keep ignoring all the stuff. Well, it's exactly the same thing. You trust God and trials come in. The flesh raises its ugly head and you keep saying no to ungodliness. Titus 2, you keep saying no to ungodliness. And little by little, and what happens? Now I've run 50 feet to 50 <clears throat> yards to five miles. Next thing I know, by the little baby steps of saying no, I'm, I'm, I'm a great distance away. And now when I look back, I can say, I've got something that I can lean on because I can say, look at what I've already been able to do. And that's huge, right? To be able to say, look at what I've... So I don't have to look at others, per se, and say, look at what somebody's done, which we need good examples. We need that. That's why scripture is filled with good examples. But then we can look at our own life and say, I've, I've made progress by trusting God. Because that, that gives you uh, uh, encouragement, additional encouragement to keep going, doesn't it? All things, okay? So I asked uh, somebody today, I, just, I said... I said, I want you to put yourself in my shoes. I was talking to somebody, I was counseling to somebody about this very issue. And I said, I said, imagine you had to do my job, which gets sticky at times. I have to make decisions. I have to pull the trigger on stuff. And it's people that's my family. It's tough stuff. And I said, if I was listening to my feelings, do you think I could have done any of that? And I want you to really just think about that. If you had to do the stuff I've had to do, which if you, like, because trust me, and here's what you may not know. I have all the same feelings you're probably feeling right now. Every single time. I have fear. I have discomfort. I have all of the stuff that you probably feel. I feel the fear of fear of having to face a situation, having to face a person, having to tell them. None of that has ever, in all these years of doing this, none of that has ever gone away. I fear conflict. I'm tired. And I don't want to have to deal with something, and yet I have to deal with it. All of that is there every single time. And so how do I do it? I ignore it. I just ignore it. And I keep ignoring it. And I keep ignoring it. And I get home, and there's times... Uh, it, I actually looked this up when I was first a pastor. They call it the preacher's low. There's actually a word for it. You get up in a pulpit, and you preach, and it's very emotional. And then you can have other stuff happen, and you come home, and you feel like the biggest loser on the planet. And I would go and I would take naps. I still will sometimes take naps, but, but like not for that. But I would take naps and, 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 and I had to deal with all these like crazy emotions. Like I felt embarrassed. There was all just kinds of weird stuff going on. And, and I had to, what I had to do is I had to, again, I had to say, that's not reality. That's not reality. And every Sunday I'd go back and to the 12 people that were there, I'd do the same thing again. <laughs> And then someone would go on vacation and half the congregation would be gone. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And, and Kevin came up with that. He's like, half the congregation's gone. Someone goes on vacation. It's 12 people. So, and, and it was tough. It was super tough. And, and I wanted to quit. All the feelings that you guys get over stuff. All that. And ha- it was not because I am the man of steel and it, I don't feel anything. If you know me, I mean, think about it. I'm a super emotional guy. And I just had to say, what are the feelings? And I'm going to tell you how to deal with feelings here in just a second as it relates to this. So what are the feelings? Well, I'm telling you now. What are the feelings that I can ignore and what are the feelings I can listen to? And how do you determine that? Any guess? Yeah. Only the feelings that agree with truth. 
That's it. And, and if there is, and I say, well, I don't know. I'm not really sure. What do you do with what you don't? What, what do you do when you don't know something? One word: nothing. Yep. Exactly. Nothing. So I got these feelings. I'm like, I, I can't. I don't have any way to support it. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't, I don't think about it. And I'm, I'm just stuck here. It's my feelings telling me that. I have no basis to say whether it's right or wrong, good or bad. So what do you do? Nothing. You just ignore it. Do nothing. Right? God is not using. Here's the thing: you get through your head. God is not ever using your feelings to move you in a particular direction. God does not protect you. God does not lead you, whatever term you want to put in there, uh, through your feelings. Never. And so when I have feelings, I, I have to say, are those feelings congruent? Are they consistent with truth? So I'll give an example. So I say, oh, there's a, there's a pretty woman, and I, I, I am attracted to her, and I want to be intimate with her. Okay, feelings. Okay, those are the feelings. So what do I have to do? Who is that woman? Is she my wife? In this case, it's my wife. Guess what? Let, let the cows out of the barn. All those feelings, I can let them go. Right? It's my wife. I can, I can be that way with her. But now I see the same, I see a beautiful woman in the grocery store, and all those feelings are there. So what do I do? Is that good? Is that bad? Is that woman my wife? No. Then you know what? I ignore those feelings. Real simple. That's how I control my feelings. My feelings do not control me. Does that help? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you wake up and you've got all kinds of feelings. I bet I have, I would say, don't know for sure, but I think that I'm just as emotional as any woman in this room. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I am a super emotional guy. And, 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 and all, all that happened is, but God, by his grace, I got a hold of something that could take all of that. And it's like, it's like, a, it's like this, like, like, like imagine you got this, like uh, all these like kites and they're just, they're flying all over the place. And you find a way to get all these things tied down in one place. That's what happened. It's like I was able to tie everything down to scripture and then function there to where now I'm mastering it. It's no longer mastering me. I'm no longer a slave to it. It serves me. And, and so when I, when I learned that, I realized I could apply that to any area of my life. And so I have. I'm like, oh, uh, I'm 48 years old, and we're going to start running. So I tell Chris, hey, we're going to start running. We're 48. We're going to start running. Oh, okay. So what do we do? We start running. What does it feel like? going to die. <laughs> we ran like two miles and we came home and, and I remember like we were so tired, both of us, we could barely cook dinner. And it was like that for months, wasn't it? Because we decided to start in the middle of winter. So it was dark. It was horrible. Horrible, 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 horrible. And what do we do? We decided to stop running. No. We, it'd be the worst weather. There's a few times I was talking to Josiah where we were actually running over where they live and it was a sleet storm and we're out in the middle of it on the street running. There's not even cars out and we're out running. That's when it. we could actually run some distance. We could then, but, but the point is, and I'm not talking, this is nothing about, I'm just trying to give you an example of here, I took the same principle and just applied it there. I've been able to do that with everything. Guys, you can master anything if you ignore your feelings, Okay. Does that mean you live without feelings and you're a robot? Am I a robot? No. 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 Right? But I, I understand 
that my feelings don't control me. My feelings don't think, so I don't trust them. So a feeling comes up, I have to say, okay, is that feeling righteous? Well, I determine that by the truth. So I'm going back to God's word. I'm going back to the facts. And if it's not, I ignore it. And the more you learn to do that, the more you can master your world. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's losing weight, studying for an exam, whatever. It's just called discipline. And doesn't the scripture talk about self-discipline or self-control? That's all it is. Does that answer the question? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I wake up all the time like that. Or I have emotions all the time. And she knew me. We got saved together. I mean, at the same time, we were baptized on the same Sunday. She knew me as a young Christian, and I was different even then than I am now because I was, I was still working through stuff. But Oh, yeah, he was super, like, tossed to and fro. Like, anything and everything. I got to sit to a car wreck once because of it. I backed out into oncoming traffic because I was so in my head about the sovereignty of God and trying to figure out. We were in Grand Rapids Baptist mm-hmm. Seminary, and we had a golf, a Volkswagen Golf, great golf. We got off the highway, and I decided I had to turn around. And, and instead of doing it the right way, I turned into somebody's driveway and then backed out into incoming traffic because I was so wrapped up on my head. And she's sitting there next to me, and I'm just like, if we do this, then we can do this. And then I had this like whole plan of like, you go, you know, like the diagrams are this like, if it's yes, you go this way. If it's, and I was like trying to do all this stuff in my head because I wasn't trusting God. And I was just like all frantic about stuff. And I totally did what, because of that, I backed right out in the traffic and we got hit. And I, that's totally different than I am now. But, but, but I had to be committed to living according to the truth. But I was a, I wish you guys could see how I was yeah. so you know I'm just not making it up. There's nobody, there's nobody in this room I don't think right now, just because of where you've been and, and even the homes you're growing up in, there's no one in this room was, who is, lives by their feelings the way that I did. No, uh-uh. No way. Mm-mm. You're nowhere even close to where I was. I was a, I didn't have a Christian home. Yeah, you had no direction. I was super, I mean, I was worried. I, I tried to commit suicide in 1988. I, I, I ended up in the hospital for three days after getting my, pumic, uh, my stomach pumped because too much of it went into my system and they had to watch me. I tried to go home. My dad was mad because I didn't finish the job, so he tried to bust a, a TV tray over my head. My mom felt sorry for me, so she let me live at home for a couple of days, and then I had to move into literally a trailer that my mom found that some guy had, and I was there all alone in some trailer. My life was like... The pits, and I was an incredibly unstable individual, and that was my life. And somehow, by God's grace, I got to college only because I had money from a, a medical uh, a lawsuit, and I needed to get out of town because I was too wrapped up in drugs and the people in that town. And I needed to get out. And some one particular college sent me flyers. We're still sending me flyers or, or brochures, and so I went there. I, I totally. That's how I got to college. It was not because I was smart or I was disciplined. And because I was so undisciplined, the only class I passed in college was swimming. I failed. I flunked out. I went under academic dis, uh, uh, probation. Uh, probation. And then I, I went to community college and I had to transfer out. And slowly but surely, I ended up at Eastern Michigan University where a guy that I lifted weights with told me about Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I had an econ class. I saw a flyer in the foyer. It was a night class. And I went to it. And that's when everything changed. And I, I was in a horrible situation. 
where I got stuck with a lease and all this stuff. My mom told my brother that I was crazy. I ended up living literally in the furnace room, the mechanical room of a, of a house because there was no other room to rent. And I literally put a, a futon mat. That's when she met me or I met her. And I was the furnace. I mean, the furnace was like right here coming on at night and I was laying, it was totally illegal. They shouldn't have rented that out. Mm -hmm. And I paid like two or $300 a month to rent out the mechanical room. And at that point, I was on antidepressants because my life was su such, a, such a huge, huge, huge mess. And right there, that was me, your pastor. Nothing like the person I am now. But what changed it? Because I gave my life to Christ, and when I gave my life to Christ, I gave my life to him. He became the master. That was the most relieving thing to me was that I didn't have to figure it out. He had already figured it out for me. Some of you think you're smarter than Christ. You think you know better. You don't. <clears throat> you, you just give yourself to him and, and, and let people call you crazy and just do what he says. Listen to what he says. It'll all work out. Trust me. It'll all work out. But if you give into the fear thing, if you've if you got this fear over here instead where you're all worried, you won't live for Christ. And that fear will send you to hell. And it won't be an excuse. You won't have an excuse on judgment day. And I think a lot of people think that way. They think they're going to stand there and say, but I was afraid, and Jesus could be like, oh, you poor baby. <laughs> Little lamb. It's gonna, no excuse. You should have feared God more than you, you fear that, because whatever you fear is what you truly trust and what you are truly committed to. Make sense? Okay. Any more questions about that? No? Yes, no? Okay, good. Insightful? Okay. Um, Let's talk about a few more things. So we've talked about this before, but I just, I just want to make sure you understand this. So we, we, you see people in the world, and they're, they're not following Christ, and they've got, let's say, great lives, okay? They've got good things. Scripture talks about these people. It's not like God is not aware of this. And, and, and if you don't understand that, um, then you need to, so you're not tripped up by that. You will either pay for your sins now or you will pay for them in eternity. Those people are not better off. It means that they are not paying for their sins now. Okay? This is why, by the way, uh, Peter says what he does in uh, chapter 4. He's dealing with, by the way, people who have come out of the world and he says, for the time is past, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, okay? But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay, so uh, the time that is past suffices for doing these things, okay? You say, well... Um, I never got that time, right? I've always been a Christian, and, and, and it seems like Peter's saying here is that we should all have a, a time until it suffices, it's sufficient, and then we become Christians. Is that what he's saying? What's the context here? Do you know? What, he's, what, what does he mean by that, the time suffices? Well, if you look down to verse 17, all part of the same context. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey? That's what he means by suffices. What he's saying is, for those of you who are not in the church, and, and, and so you've got this life filled with all these sins, 
uh, he's saying, you got enough already, it's sufficient that you're going to have to pay for. You don't want any more. You don't want to add to the list because God's going to take it out of your hide in this life if you go to heaven. You have to pay for your sins. Okay? That's justice. And that's the next thing I want to talk about. you got to pay for your sins. Okay? And so he's saying judgment's going to begin with you. You don't want to be adding to the list. Nobody, even those of you who have grown up, you don't want to add a list. Okay? You don't need the stuff that's going to come. Because you didn't do what God says. Well, nothing happened to me now. You just wait till later. If you're going to go to heaven, it will come out of your hide one way or the other. Okay? And if you don't want that, you go back to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The time is suffice. It's sufficient. You don't need to add to the list. Right? Don't be a glutton for punishment. That's the point. Okay? And, and, and so we don't want to live that way. Now let's, let's talk about then justice. So I asked this question in the Q&A for those of you who were there, which you got the answer right. It was so awesome uh, to see how you, you've been tracking in this. But don't, I don't want you to answer, so I want to see if the rest can get it. Okay? So um, you, if you spend any time in this church and you have, you see... I mean, it seems like we've got discipline situations all the time. Have you ever felt like, and just be honest, like, man, can't just pastor, like, like let up just a little bit? Have you ever felt like I'm just up there like, with like a big machine gun, just like blasting off body parts like on people? Because it's like, here we go again, Jude Cole. Somebody else is going down. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever? Not, no one. You're telling me you've never felt like, can't he just let up? Can't we just take a break or a breather? Really, man, the people that were there, the... Yeah, yeah right? Okay, okay, okay. So, so you're not going to get in trouble. So, like, I got you because if you say that, okay? But if you've ever felt right, that way, here's what I want you to think of. What happened, what would happen... You want things to be fair, don't you, in life? What would happen if I let off just one person? Everybody else has to be let off, too, for it to be equitable then there's no justice. It's either all justice or no justice. Right. And, and, and Luke was there, and Luke said something that was, I had never thought about this. Okay, so what we're doing is we're imitating God because we want God to be this way too. And you know why you want God to be this way? Why you want to pay for your sins and why you don't want to hide and, and all this stupid, stupid, always obstruction of justice charge that gets tacked onto you guys because you act like a bunch of women instead of men and, and, and coming forward with this stuff. The reason why you want to pay for your sins now so that you can go to heaven and you want God to be that kind of a God that makes you pay for your sins and doesn't let anybody off is because you don't want God to be partial. Because on that day, if God is partial, it's not just on the good. He can be partial on the bad. So you die on a Wednesday and he's like, oh, your name begins with a B. I'm not taking B's today just because I don't feel like it. It's Wednesday. Do you want that? Imagine you live your whole life being faithful to what God says. But because God's partial, God's like, it ain't, ain't going to work today. See, what grants stability in this world, security, safety, the ability to trust others, and the ability to trust God, is you always know where you stand. That's what justice produces in the world. Full-on justice, not partial baloney justice. Like everybody's out there, oh yeah, I want justice. Okay, you want justice, that means on you too. 
Not just for your son or it's everything you're doing. Justice, right? Full on justice. That's what creates stability. We have a world that's falling apart because we won't, we're, we're too afraid to bring on full on justice. You, 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 do the, you do the crime, you pay the price. You get what you deserve. And I want to say more about that in just a second. But you want God to be that way because then you know where you stand. Like Paul. Paul says, I fought the good fight. There's a crown laid up for me. He knew that. That's not arrogance. That's not because Paul had a vision and God told him you're going to heaven. He knew where he, he stood because he knew how he lived his life. He could trust it. That's what justice does. Justice says you get what you deserve always. You order the chicken, you get chicken. You order the beef, you get beef. You ever been to a restaurant where you ordered something and the waiter brought you something different? And were you like, that's okay. That's called mercy. <laughs> you didn't do that. And neither did your parents. You're like, I didn't order that. I ordered the chicken and you brought me beef. You need to make it right. Well, that's all it is. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, says a man will reap what he sows. That means whatever you order, you're going to get. You order wrath when you live wickedly. So on that day, and God's like, now you're going to get it. And you're like, why? Okay, so that's what you ordered. I watched your whole life, and that's what you ordered. You told me, this is what I want. I want wrath. Or... I, I want mercy. How do you get mercy? By going on the path of justice, by being a just person and serving justice gladly. That's the path to mercy. Which are you choosing? Which are you ordering up? Because that's what equity is. That's what justice is. The punishment fits the crime, right? That means you get what you deserve. You get what you order. Just like in a restaurant. You get what you ordered. Everybody is living the life that they ordered. So you say you want a good life. I say, oh, that's great. You want a good life. Okay, well, here's what that means. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then you're ordering something different than what you say you want. If you want the burger, order the burger. Here's what it means to get the burger. Don't say, I want the burger, but then I'm going to live for the chicken. Right? It's, it's you want the burger. If that's what you're ordering up, then that's the life you live. See, real simple stuff. And you see the redundancy in the system? Everything. All the principles are there. All the time. <clears throat> all the time. That's justice. Okay? Any questions about that? Does that make sense? All right. What about deathbed conversions? In what respect? Luke? In that they they only have become Christians right before their death. So was it just that they were served justice throughout their life prior to being Christian? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're, you're asking. So a person lives their whole life for wickedness, and then they have a deathbed conversion, and they go to heaven. Right. And how is that, how is that justice, right? Right. So, so take the thief on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. So one, he's serving justice, right? That's what he tells the other thief. We're, we're getting what we deserve for what we've done. We don't know anything about his prior life, but we do know this, that no one's fit before God. God doesn't call anyone to himself who hasn't paid for their sins or who can pay for their sins, right? And God starts the clock as far as that goes after that period for what happens after that as it relates to those who are in covenant. So okay. in both cases, you still, have, you still have justice. Okay. Wait, can you explain that last thing that you said about the clock? Um, the clock? Yeah. God starts, starts yeah. once you, so it's like you move, 
you're held accountable once you're you've you've made the commitment. You're moving forward. So right, you're, you're held accountable forward. for what you know from that moment yep. forward. Now. Yep. And you're still paying for what's coming to pass, but now it's okay. more kind of like, sorry, I was combining two things because usually what most people say is, how can I how can I live for God when I don't have any time? So like the parable of the talents. How do I okay. how do I do anything for God when I don't have any time to do it? Which yeah. is the, sorry, the flip. I was thinking usually that's the yeah. other question that goes along with it. Okay. So to specifically address just what he said, which is so how do you pay for justice? Well, you will pay for justice, otherwise God won't call you to Himself. Right. So you don't have deathbed conversions where that's not the case. That's a person not fit or welcomed to God. Okay. And, and death by itself is not enough to pay justice. It's part of it. It's why we die. Okay. But then you have usually the other question is, well, they can't do anything. But it's what they did from the time that they had, they became a Christian. It's because yeah. now that's its own judgment. What was the quality of their life, even if that's 60 seconds, what was the quality of that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right, let me um, end kind of this conversation with uh, Matthew 4. <clears throat> so Matthew 4, really cool text. This is uh, Jesus' temptation and in, in, in the wilderness. And this was per a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago, but verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Okay, so prior to this event, Jesus goes into the waters where the people are being baptized for the purpose of repentance. Jesus takes those sins upon him, and to prove himself worthy to take them to the cross, he had to pass the same test that, that we have to pass, and that is those tests of temptation that come. And he did that in the ultimate sense by going into the wilderness, which really represents the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. He goes in uh, for the 40 days and he's fasting, which means all kinds of things now in the flesh are afflicting him. He has all these temptations coming in from his feelings. And on top of that, Satan comes in and makes it even harder by exacerbating the situation by saying, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And really brings out all of the things that we struggle with. If you think again of the fears that you gave me, here you have the first is uh, related to really just satisfying the flesh, right? Turn this, uh, these stones uh, into loaves of bread. That's satisfaction of the flesh, okay? Uh, the next is as it relates to safety or security. Throw yourself down. And let God prove that he's caring for you. And there's that testing God I just want to know. And there, you know, a lot of these, like if we, if we were to take this list even, and we were to circle, you know, these three categories, we're probably going to find most, if not all of these things you guys gave me in one of these three categories. 
right? It's either related to security and feeling safe. That's the, you know, the fear of not having enough money, uh, dying alone, et cetera, et cetera. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are related, probably the majority of them are related to that very issue, feeling safe. Uh, and then the third and final one, which really picks up this idea of success is you can have all success. You can be the, the ruler of this world if you'll just bow down to me. So there's the, the power or the glory piece, okay? And that would play into image, reputation as well, okay? So you have three categories that Jesus is, is tempted in, but the one I want you to focus on as it relates to what we're talking about now is, is the man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does he mean by that? Do you know? Do you remember? Where does it come from? If you have a reference box. Yeah, so if you go to Deuteronomy 8.3, here's what you, if you can wrap your head around this, and I think you're smart enough to do it, is understand that what Jesus isn't doing here is witchcraft. He's not there and like, Satan's like, like, you know, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus is like, okay, what verse do I need to use for that one? And he's like, man, just not live on bread alone. He's like, oh, yeah, man. And Satan's like, come up here on this hill. And he's like, goes up and he's like, turn yourself up. And he's like, well, first of all, he's like, you should not tell the Lord your God. And he's like, it's like, it's like, this is a witchcraft, right? And you don't want to think about it that way, right? You don't want this like, like, like if I just memorize certain verses and like, I've heard people do this. It's this kind of stupid stuff. It's like, it's like, it's like, oh, when the, when the bad thoughts come in, like, like you're supposed to say like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> it's just, that's like, you see, that's not what Jesus is doing here. And so the reason I picked this particular verse is because I want you to, I want you to see what's going on here because Satan knew the word. That's why he's quoting stuff to Jesus from the word. And, and Jesus knew the word, which means they both knew the meaning of what was being said. So we've got to understand the meaning, what it is that Jesus is saying. And this is very much related to what we've been talking about here tonight. Deuteronomy 8.3, um, here's what Moses says. And this is where this comes from. And he humbled you. He's talking about, Moses is talking about the prior experience in the wilderness. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew, that he, will, he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we're to understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to understand what Moses is talking about here. And the way to figure that out is to start there at the beginning of verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger. See, that's the same situation that Jesus is in, but what does he mean by that? He, he humbled you. And remember, the man I just came once a day, and, and, and it wasn't that much. And, and he's saying that too. You know, he gave you this, this, this manna, it kept you alive, but it wasn't a feast. And the reason that God did this, the reason that God put you in this situation is so that you might know the man does not live by bread alone. And, and, and that word, what he's talking there about live is, is identity. That your identity, that, 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 you're, that not just your survival, but you thriving in this world, who you are, is all wrapped up in this idea of, of identity. Who am I? What is life? What does it mean to experience life to the fullest? That's this idea here of live. Man doesn't live by that. He wanted to teach them by stripping and taking those things away and saying that your identity might be found not in the things of this world, but instead in the word of God, every word. It comes from the mouth of God. 
And so when Jesus goes into the wilderness, he's, he's, he's being afflicted in the same way. And what he responds to Satan with is essentially this. My identity will not be found in the things of this world. And you see, that's what made him or gave him the right to be Savior. To carry our sins to the cross. Because he wasn't going to be like us. Another sinner. And what causes us to be a sinner is because we desperately want to be identified by the things in this world. That's the problem. And that goes full circle right back to where we started. If you're going to have command over your feelings, you have got to die to the flesh and your feelings as that which determines good or bad, right or wrong. You have to ignore it. Because the feelings are telling you what? You need to be identified by the things of this world, how you feel. And that principle, it's not just in relation to moral things. It's dieting, running. It doesn't matter what it is, getting a, having a career, sticking with something, not. It's all what's going on in your feelings. And if you can't learn now to ignore those things and operate instead according to the truth, then your life is identified by the bread of this world and you will perish with the bread of this world. And what Jesus is saying to Satan is, mm -mm, I will not be defined. My identity will not be determined by how I feel. My life will not be determined. It will not be characterized by how I feel. He's hungry. Don't matter. Jesus says, my life will be defined by what does God say, not how do I feel. I will walk by faith and not walk by sight. Do you see it? Everywhere. It's everywhere. Good? Yeah? Questions? Okay, one final thing, and then we're done. Go to Malachi 2. I'm, I'm going to talk about this on Sunday, but... Th this was brought up, actually, I think, in a young church. And, and I've talked about it before, but I want you to see this. So, last Sunday I talked about this as, as the consistency with what the Bible has taught us in the Old Testament and how it was true in the New, the anointed priest. And this, by the way, is not putting myself on a pedestal. It's, it's, it's wanting you to be obedient to what God says and to respect that particular office because God wants us to do that and God wants us to listen to the man or the men that he puts in those offices. And I want you to see this in 2.7. So if anyone ever says to you, uh, well, you shouldn't just listen to what he says. If what I'm telling you is wrong, meaning you're going to verify it according to Scripture, that's another thing. But, but notice, this is a command. 2.7, Malachi 2.7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. See that? That's, right? That's, I, I, that's checkmate, right? <laughs> Next time somebody says, oh, oh you don't need just your pastor. Okay, let's go to Malachi 2.7. For the lips of the priest, if he's doing his job, if he's qualified, he should guard knowledge, which means he should be the kind of person that knows how to operate according to the facts and where to find them. Because that's his job. So the only question is, am I doing that? If so, people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord hosts. That means that guy is different than any other guy in the church. Do you get that? And, then, and whether this is me or not, I hope you can trust me that I'm telling you that as your Christian brother, not because I currently am in that office. That's what God says. For he is the messenger. It means God's saying, I'm putting my spirit on him specifically. 
I'm going to direct him specifically. I'm giving him the anointing to understand specifically. He's the one you want to listen to. That's not cult-like. That's not, oh, you're just a lemming. doesn't mean you don't use your mind. It just means that's what God wants you to do. Okay? Make sense? Real simple. Okay. I have a question related to that. So if somebody brings up the fact the high priest, like Jesus is our high yeah. priest, so how do we prove that this isn't talking about the high priest? Is it because it says a priest? Um, yeah, it is a priest. Uh, but if you look at the... The very next verse. So the context here, if you go up to verse 1, and now, O priest, this command is for you. Okay? And, and actually what he's doing is he's rebuking the priest, the whole priesthood, because they had turned away from God. And he's saying, this is what you should do as the sons of Levi. So if you look at the very next verse, but you have turned aside from the way. You haven't done this. You haven't guarded knowledge. Right? You haven't been my messenger. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So it's all priests, including the high priests. Yes, yeah, okay, okay. Okay. But again, if I'm doing my job, then what I tell you is going to be consistent with our high priest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Any more questions about that? Does that make sense? Could you use that as a, I'm forgetting the word, but just evangelistically you could be like so in the context of 89 it says you corrupted the covenant of Levi making despised and abased for all people so if you can point out something in what another pastor says that's not aligning with truth can you use that to say so God promises to make you despised and abased if you oh yeah for sure knowledge. yeah and that's not the only place that it says that yeah my shepherds are stupid. We, we, we saw that just uh, with, with the study on that where it talks about, I will give you shepherds who will care for you and they will speak right words. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why in James 3 it says that we will be judged more strictly. Mm-hmm. We are being judged because of that, right? And if we don't do what he says, then we are those despised in the basin. Yeah, yep. Which is why when we pray on Sunday, that we, we don't pray this way every Sunday, but I know that uh, Chris is ask for prayer this way that we would pray that pastors who are not faithful and are not equipped to be doing what they're doing uh that we want those churches to close their doors that's a good thing that that's in line that's consistent with what we read there god's angry at those individuals because they're not his messengers and they're acting like they are okay Okay, anything else good okay let's pray and then we're done lord thank you that you love us and you give us a book by which we can know your will and and you love us so much. You've given us everything we need to to navigate our lives in this world such that we can see good days, that we can have a full life, that we can live for you. We can end those days also because you're a just God. We can end those days knowing, like Paul knew with all confidence, that there's a crown awaiting us, that we have fought the good fight. But it means overcoming our feelings because they send the wrong signals. You've told us that. We're not to live according to the flesh. That's what you freed us from when we were baptized. We we died to that. We died to our flesh just as Jesus died in this world. We died with him and we're to, uh, to consider ourselves then dead to the flesh, dead to those things as that which determines good and bad, right or wrong. Make it so we pray to your glory and the people that are here. In Jesus' name, amen.